If you're a cannabis business owner looking to expand into new markets and need guidance and support you can trust, consider Collateral Base, a group that has done it before in multiple merit-based and limited market states. Collateral Base was founded by an experienced cannabis attorney with highly educated consultants with master's degrees and years of experience in the cannabis industry. The Collateral Base team is confident they know cannabis licensing better than any of their peers. And I encourage you to see for yourself. It just takes one phone call. If you're ready to expand your cannabis business into new limited markets, contact Collateral Base today at 309-306-1095. That's 309-306-1095. Or visit collateralbase.com. Hey, music lovers. The Cannamom Show podcast, in collaboration with Lambkin Guitars, is giving away a custom-built, one-of-a-kind electric guitar built by Josh Lampkin. The solid one-piece hemp wood body includes a built-in glass bowl piece. Yeah, you heard me right. You can take a hit and then play a lick. Now's your chance to help the Cannamom Show crush cannabis stigma with your entry. Register for the Hemp Guitar Giveaway online at LampkinGuitars.com. That's L-A-M-K-I-N Guitars.com. The drawing will be part of a 420 celebration at the Goods Dispensary in Somerville, Massachusetts, where the guitar is on display for the month of April. But don't worry, you don't have to live in Mass or be present to win. Visit LampkinGuitars.com to scope out the Hemp Guitar giveaway details and entry form. You'll even find a video of what could be your guitar in action. L-A-M-K-I-N guitars.com. Everything is personal right here. Everything is personal right here. Everything is personal right here. Let me end on the N-A. Heat guaranteed when you press in the play. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to another episode of Everything is Personal. And today, we have a special guest with us, Ms. Jill Ellsworth, who's the founder and CEO of Willow Industries. How are you? Hi. Hi. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. I I mean, we started talking about this whole thing, uh, and I, I want to... I wanted to pause and have our audience kind of participate in this conversation. We're talking about health and wellness and about a little bit about my story, but you started talking about your story of, uh, you know, having an illness and what you did. So let's continue the the conversation and we'll eavesdrop. (laughs) Um, Well, so to kind of back up, I um, am very into health and wellness. I'm a registered dietitian. I have a master's in food science and nutrition. And so, you know, moving towards more alternative medicine modalities and natural methods is something that I've always gravitated towards. And so I actually went through this terrible illness last year. Um, I was about a year and a half that I was sick and I used um, really all natural remedies to heal myself. So I used ozone therapy. I used hyperbaric oxygen. Um, I did, uh, uh, infusions into my blood of ozone, lots of supplements, um, did physical therapy and I was able to heal myself. What was it, was it like an autoimmune type of, uh, illness or, uh, I mean, you don't have to go over the details. If, oh if yeah. I'm happy to share. I'm open with this stuff. So I got a really terrible case of shingles, you know, just really stressed, <laughs> Um, and unfortunately what it did was it actually destroyed my vestibular nerve and your vestibular nerves are in your ears and they modulate your balance and perception in the world. And so it destroyed that for me. So I was left with this unbearable dizziness and, um, I suffered from that for, you know, like a year and a half. But what I did was I kind of healed myself from the inside out. I mean, all these doctors tried to throw a bunch of medicine to kind of placate those symptoms and it was awful. So I was like, I have to find another way to actually heal my body. And so 
that is what I did. Did you experience any vertigo with that? Yes. Yeah, I have. Uh, <clears throat> so in, in in my company, we deal with a lot of uh, people that get diagnosed with cancer, uh, unfortunately. And uh, one of the effects in there's no scientific evidence. I'm not stating any scientific evidence. Maybe there is. I just didn't do my research on it. But we have a very high percentage of people that when diagnosed with cancer, they also express shingles. And you already said, you know, it's a you know, adult chicken pox, basically, but it, it is stress-induced, right? And, uh, and, and there's a lot of complications, as you, as you mentioned, but we found that a... Uh, an inside-out, outside-in type of uh, protocol just for shingles has been really efficacious. So having like uh, tinctures and supplementation going inside while you're applying, you know, topicals, uh, et cetera, on your skin to address, uh, you know, that. So it makes total sense to me. Uh, but I think what happens if you sort of let it go uh, for a while untreated, it can create all these other complications. And people think, ah, chicken pox, sorry, but Man, it's a it's a pretty intense experience, right? Oh, it was awful. And you know, I caught it early and I got on medication and visibly it went away. But what happened was the act, the virus didn't go away. So it it buried itself within my nerves inside my head and my ears and it destroyed those nerves. And um, that's, you know, and I didn't even realize this until one day I was just like leveled to the ground. Man. All right, let's let's back all the way up yeah. because I would really want to dive into this uh, health and wellness thing because I think we have a lot of commonality in, in yeah. terms of our approach and, and and stories. But where did you grow up? I grew up in Colorado, in Denver, where I am now. But I also grew up in Los Angeles. So, like, uh, you had parents that were living in different places, or were you going back and forth? Like, how did that work? It's not that close. Dad, yeah, yeah, yeah. So my dad, um, he worked for a TV station. So we started in Colorado. Um, he was transferred to a station in Houston and then back to Colorado and then transferred to a station in LA. And so, um, you know, my family just kind of moved around a lot when I was younger. But I, I ended up living in LA for close to 22 years. And then I've been back in Denver for about nine. Got it. And then growing up... Um, was it, when did you become interested in, in like health and wellness in general? That's a really interesting question. I think in middle school, I always loved reading health and wellness magazines, like shape and fitness. And I was fascinated by that. Um, I always have been really into exercise and healthy foods and how I can nourish my body with that. And so I, um, I, you know, I, I read as much as I could. And as I got older, I was like, well, maybe I, you know, I want to go to school for this. And after a failed stint in the entertainment industry, um, I went back to school to become a registered dietitian. So I got my master's. Um, and then I did my residency in Santa Barbara. Not a big believer in failure. I'll tell you, <laughs> I, I look at it this way. I look at it as you win or you learn. So I learned learning experience learned. in the in the Hollywood entertainment. Oh industry. my gosh, I learned so much. <laughs> oh, I, I I understand. I'm I'm not in that industry, but my my ex wife was an actor, and my daughter is an actor. So oh, really? I'm still, okay. yeah, I'm still you know sort of participating in it uh, vicariously through through my daughter at least. Yeah. Um. So we were talking previously about you know this uh, uh, this whole notion of alternative, traditional therapeutics or, or, or medicine. And you were saying, you know, I was saying that I, I don't really even take like ibuprofen or anything like that uh, because I'm not a, and, and to me, more or less, it's because of a fear. So I, I think I told the story before, but I'll sort of like give you the, the cliff note version and, and the kids have no idea what I'm talking about as cliff notes, but you know, uh, it's, it's a I summary know. version. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a summary version of, uh, uh, of the story. But my, my grandfather, uh, became really ill uh, when I was, when I was little and he had a stroke and I didn't know what it was. It was kind of a scary thing. And then he proceeded to have other strokes. So it, it half his body was paralyzed and sort of started learning how to walk, couldn't speak. Um, but all I remember is constantly this whole back and forth with doctors and medication. And I remember like he had 
two real like shopping bags full of different pills and constantly it was going back and forth and this pill is is interacting with this uh pill and this is causing constipation so letting let's give a diuretic but now he's having this and he's getting some anema uh and it's it just snowballs from there so i i was always scared of it and to me like the notion of let's let's see what i can do with other things that are going to minimize whatever the adverse effects are of the prescription medication. It's not that I don't believe in it. It was just something that I was uh, completely fearful of. And I found other methods and other other sources to be able to get that kind of uh, relief as well. And you were saying something similar that you don't really take, uh, you know, prescription medication too. So uh, maybe you can elaborate a little bit on that. Exactly. I mean, I, I kind of feel very much you do. I've seen, uh, I would say pharmaceutical abuse, right? And family members and in friends and and it just like terrifies me. Um, so I've I've really gravitated towards more of this natural approach. I mean, I I uh, I will take a little bit of Advil. I do this with my daughter too, is like uh she's got uh, very painful periods and stuff. So uh, you know, we start with C B D and we do other things. She's like that. I'm taking a Motrin. I know. Hey, I know. Hey, <laughs> Whatever you got to do. You're like, I have to take a Motrin. Or I have to take something. <laughs> I'm like, oh, whatever you have to do, I can't, you know, that's that's up to you. I, I do not uh, compare myself to that. But we're, we're also talking about, you know, traditional and Eastern and Western medicine. And I was kind of saying, you know, we have this notion of Eastern medicine, which is uh, not you know, herbal medicine that comes from the East, but there are traditional therapeutics that came from the West as well. So I, I kind of label it, and I don't know if it's right or wrong, is this is traditional uh, therapeutics, traditional medicine, and then you have pharmaceutical. And pharmaceutical to me is based on traditional, uh, you know, therapeutics, traditional medicine, like herbs and, and combination of different things and plants, etc. And then what they do is they see, okay, now we found a plant of some sorts or a substance. What can we do to synthesize that? And they did this with cannabis, uh, with Marinol and a bunch of other things as well, THC pills. And they'll, they'll take it, they isolate it, and they synthesize it. And now whatever that therapeutic was becomes a pill or a shot or something else that you give to people. But I, you know, I always found that there was these ancillary things that are in the compound, like cannabis. Cannabis is a great example of that. When they try to take a cannabis product and they said, oh, THC, let's let's push this for AIDS patients at the very least to do two things. Let's see if we can minimize their pain and increase their appetite. And But we'll give them Marinol. And it didn't work. And they're like, why oh, didn't it work? Well, it didn't work. It didn't give the increase of appetite. It, it worked oh, as a okay. sedative. It worked as a oh, sedative. Okay. And one of the reasons, and one of the reasons is because the binding affinity, you have constituents of this plant, right? So you have different constituents, not just one isolated molecule. And, and if you, if you look at to see what like GW pharmaceuticals did with Epidiolex, they didn't even say, okay, let's, uh, let's create, let's go through FDA approval for something to help with epilepsy. It's too broad. They went and said, well, childhood epilepsy, Dray syndrome, is something that we can kind of focus on. So it's an exact, it's plant-derived, and it's CBD as well, but it, there's so many different constituents of plants, it's very difficult to, to replicate. And I think that's, that's a difference. So until they get to a point where they can start looking at at least all the major compounds of the plant, and then combining those formulations and if we're really making a one-to-one with like these two or three terpenes primary secondary and then doing some clinical studies on those we'll get there but that's that's the mindset wasn't even there until gw or now jazz pharmaceuticals i guess started started uh focusing on that so i I will make a segue to your business and, and cannabis. I'm just, I'm just uh, really like, I'm really inspired by health and wellness overall. And I want to go back to what you were saying, uh, your, your own protocols and treatment with the ozone and the and hyperbaric chamber and all the other stuff. So I'll tell you, I had a, I had an ozone experience. Yeah. I, I tried to, uh, 
I try to biohack. I don't even know if this is the right terminology because now it's everybody's using it, but I'm trying to biohack myself all the time. So I, yeah, I experiment. Same. Same. <laughs> I experiment on everything. I've taken all the DNA tests, microbiome tests, everything. As long as like I'm not big on blood tests, and I, even though I did, did take them as well, and I wore a glucose monitor for weeks uh, trying to see all that stuff. But ozone, I went to this... Um, the, uh, this person who's ministering ozone, he was telling me all about it. And it was an inhalant type, but he said, you don't breathe it in. They just do it around you and you're going to get it uh, through your mouth or, or pour. I don't know. But I was really, I was sick for at least three days. From that. <gasps> and, and then I started doing research and I'm like, you can have ozone poisoning. And then I went back to the person. I went back to other experts in ozone and they said, no, this is what's supposed to happen. All the gunk that's inside is just coming out. Right. All right. I guess I have a lot of gunk. Well, that's the thing, you know, ozone, ozone administration is like very specific. So did you, did you, uh, because they can, you can do ozone breathing treatments where you, it like bubbles through olive oil and it. Exactly. That's that's exactly what you did. Yes. Yes. Oh, oh, okay. So I mean, it makes you detox. So you probably herxed. Did they tell you that? (laughs) It said, as soon as I got done, I mean, I couldn't, all this stuff. uh, I don't know if you've ever done something called hape. Uh, It's, uh, it's sort of like a tobacco. They, they administer it in, uh, in Peru and other places in, in like uh, South America. And they sort of administer sometimes with an ayahuasca treatment. So it's this thing, it's like a tobacco, but basically they blow it up your nose. So I had, I had the shaman who took a, a device that looked like a wishbone and they hold one end in their mouth and they put the other one in your nostril and they blow and then they go with the other nostril. So all of a sudden it's like, holy shit. It, it like hurts your eyes and your, your brain. And then, and then sort of you have an experience, I guess, of some sorts. So it felt very similar to that at first, like my, my nose and everything started falling out. I got tissues and I just couldn't blow my nose enough because all this stuff. And it, it, it was for, for days basically. So yeah. That was yes. Yes. I mean, when I first started doing ozone breathing treatments, I had the same reaction and then your body gets used to it. And then you really start to see amazing results. So I just didn't do enough. Yeah. what you're saying. But you detox really hard. Like they call it herxane. And the first time I started doing ozone treatments, I herxed so hard. I was so sick. It felt Uh, like I was like terribly hungover for like days. I mean, oh, it's so brutal. But I was like, I'm going to keep doing it. So now I actually have this whole ozone setup at my house. So I do treatments on myself. (laughs) With with the olive oil filtration, all that? Yeah, so I I do the breathing treatment. Uh, when you bubble it into olive oil, I also do uh, treatments in my ears. So I will put like the stethoscope that like blows ozone gas into your ears. And so it like can, it has, you know, the synergistic effect and like has, you know, helps with your brain. And and for me, that really helped heal all those nerves in my ears from what the shingles destroyed um, because it's a great antioxidant, but it's a great um, healing uh, gas. So Yeah. Have you looked into stem cells at all? Yeah, I have. I haven't um, done them yet. So my father-in-law is a naturopathic doctor and he does those at his practice. Yeah, I was reading um, I was reading about, uh, I'm, tr- I'm trying to remember the, the doctor's name, but anyway, I was reading about this discovery of, of uh, placenta stem cells. I don't know if you've, so what they're saying is that placenta stem cells, and we used to throw placenta out because, you know, it was no use, but placenta stem cells uh, are sort of agnostic stem cells, and you can use them anywhere in the body. So it, now they're harvesting placenta stem cells, so they don't, they're sort of like a clean canvas. And so wow. anyway, yeah, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty interesting what the results of that are. And I think Tony Robbins has a book called Life force, I think. And then he talks about all that kind of stuff. And he had some really bad skiing uh, injury, uh, like knee and all this other stuff. And that's what he was doing. And it goes, it completely, completely healed him. That's amazing. I will say I had my placenta encapsulated when I had my daughter. So, you know, just doing the weirdest shit. (laughs) Yeah, I I did. I, yeah, we, I think we, we had uh, the, the, 
cord and a blood bank, whatever, whatever it's called. We, we did that many years ago. Yeah. Uh, my daughter, my daughter's uh, going to be 18. So. It's, oh, okay. It's been, so yeah, it's been, it's been yeah. a while. That's actually, that's really progressive of you. 18 years ago, people weren't really talking about that. I mean, I had a kid five years ago and they were, you know, that was like a thing. But 18 years yeah. ago, you were definitely progressive. Yeah, it was it was definitely not a thing. And and the whole the whole notion of stem cells, if you if you remember, there was a lot of political debate around that during that time. And I know people that were going to Germany and other places in the world that would get like with with multiple sclerosis or diagnosis, and they would get MS. Uh, they would get stem cells for MS, and no no symptoms. Ten years after, wow. and they couldn't get it in the U.S. And no surprise so, there. You know why? Pharmaceutical companies make more money on MS drugs. There you go. Good point. So tell me about alcoholic kombucha and the and the uh, the health uh, effects because I I just I just had a um, there was a place that opened up in in LA and a couple of weeks ago I went to this brewery and it was a it was a sort of a bar and they serve it's only alcoholic kombucha drinks. I was like, oh man, I never really, I mean, I had kombucha with some alcohol in, in Whole Foods, but I never thought about it as like a, a drink, drink. Per se, so yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, that was uh, when I owned my distribution company and we launched that type of product in Colorado. No one had done that before here. And it's really interesting because I, you know, they, they just let it ferment longer. So then you're going to see alcohol production in that, but it's low levels. And so it's like a light buzz. And so I think, you know, this kind of movement towards less drinking, you know, this kind of sober movement we're seeing, um, alcohol kombuchas, you know, having another swing at it. I kind of like it. I think the the one that I had was 8.5%, which is, well, I think- kind of high though. It's high, right? Yeah. Because so, we were, the stuff we were distributing, it was like 0.3. No, no, no. It's like this a low is, buzz. No, that that you can get at Whole Foods now. Right. Like you know right. you need, but this is oh. like it's an alcohol kombucha. It's they say it's it's as much alcohol as you would get in beer. And I'm like, well, wow. no, only Belgian beer. Belgian beer, I think, is like eight, nine, and ten percent alcohol. So it's it's pretty intense. Uh, but it's uh, wow, I, I didn't realize that. Okay, so two different things then. <laughs> well, I think I think. I still consider it as a as a health beverage, no? Yeah, no, it definitely is. Um, I wonder how long they allow that to ferment. Yeah, I don't know. I I I didn't know what like I wanted to talk about how you got into you know, but I I thought it was a I thought it was interesting the the alcohol kombucha because I just had that experience. But I wanted to uh, ask about how you got into like the the health beverage business because I think I read that you had a, a juice uh, company, correct? It did. So I had a juice company in Santa Barbara. I was the first company to launch cold pressed juices in Santa Barbara. And for me, you know, after finishing my residency and becoming a dietitian, I wanted to help consult people on losing weight and having a healthier lifestyle. But I always felt I needed a tool. I mean, I could tell you all day what to eat, but who's to say they're you're actually going to be compliant. And so what I found is if I had a tool to give you to help you do these things, then it could put you on a path towards a healthier lifestyle. So I invented this juice cleanse. Um, and then we had, so that was direct to consumer and that turned into, you know, a full service juice bar. Um, but for me, it was like, here's a tool to use to help you get on a path to a healthier lifestyle to, you know, ultimately become your best self. I, I love what you just said, because, you know, it's one of the things that we've always been, or it's been a huge challenge in our company is like, we can do a DNA test for you. We can give you a suggested protocol, but we, we have no oversight. Are you actually going to implement the protocol? And is it really working for you? Or are you just yeah. afraid to tell us it's not? Or, you know, this it has to be a collaborative experience. So we started doing a couple of things. The first thing we did, we started introducing this feedback loop mechanism uh, with surveys. And then we found, hey, when people start feeling better, they don't have no interest in responding to anything. They're like, yeah, you know, I'm feeling better. So we started introducing biometric uh, feedback. So with a wearable, with All other right. wearables, and it comes back and we can kind of remote monitor and see how the protocol is working and, oh, and then wow. start using machine learning 
to start making better predictive inferences for people. So the number one thing is let's avoid an adverse event because people, you know, consume cannabis. And if they have an adverse event, they likely don't go back. And the next thing is to see how efficacious that is based on, and I hate, you know, putting people in buckets, but basically that's the way it is until we will be spoken person and really individualized. It's personalized. So people like you, have this genetic profile and have taken this protocol for this symptomatic condition and, you know, 85% showed efficacy. So this is a protocol that's being suggested uh, for you. And then we're, we're moving into the clinic space. That's exactly why is because ju- you can give somebody something, but how do you know they're going to take it correctly and how do you get monitored that it's really working for them? So I commend you for doing that. Um, so the idea was cleanse and, and weight uh, loss and, and healthy living. And how does that, how does that transition into cannabis? <laughs> I know. So <laughs> strange. Uh, well, so I, I ended up exiting the juice business. I sold part of the company to uh, another juice company here in Colorado. And then I closed uh, our our direct to um, our our retail division because at that point, cold pressed juices, fully organic. I mean, the margins are very slim and I was finding it hard to raise money. So I decided to close that and kind of, you know, moved on from the juice, the juice world. And at the same time, I started looking at cannabis. I mean, this was almost six, seven years ago in Colorado where uh, legalization had just happened with the recreation side. And I was looking at it from the lens of food safety, which I learned in my juice company and then in school and realizing what cultivators were required to do, which was to test for mold and yeast and these types of pathogens on cannabis. If they were presented with this, they didn't have a solution to get rid of it. And so one night I really just had this harebrained idea. I'm going to find a way to clean weed. And that is what we've done at Willow. I love that because, and I want to really dive deeper into it. I'm not a cultivator, but back in, you know, one part of my life has so many different parts. We we did own uh, five dispensaries and a cultivation oh, facility. Wow. And then I had a, uh, I had a cultivation facility with a delivery service as well. And I'll never forget, you know, the, the day that we got mites and, Man, it, it just destroyed the entire crop. And, and, and then I also remember, and I'll ask a specific question. I'm just uh, kind of trying to frame it where, um, I don't know if you know Dr. Sue Sisley. Yes, uh, she, I do. I know her well. Yeah. So, so for, for the people who don't know, uh, Dr. Sue Sisley, uh, over, was overseeing a study on PTSD under a DA license, uh, clinical, uh, trial for using cannabis. And in order for her to get her DA license, she had to get the cannabis from Mississippi where the federal government cultivates it. And you probably know this, but she, when she got the cannabis, she actually had to remediate the cannabis because it was full of mold. And this is the government cannabis that is presented to us for clinical research, the only one we could use. So I was wondering, would that be a perfect opportunity for Willow to come in and remediate and clean that kind of cannabis? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I I am definitely familiar with that operation in Mississippi. Um, But I mean, that is exactly what we do. We take weed that in cannabis that is really moldy and contaminated and eliminate that using ozone gas. So back to my passion for ozone, um, another application for that besides healing human bodies is cleaning cannabis. And so, I mean, definitely that's what we do. So so let's, Let's see if we can give a visual uh, of how that works. The only thing that I'm familiar with in a, in a cultivation facility, besides nutrients and, and uh, you know, lights and all that stuff, there was a CO2 machine we used to have. So I'm wondering from a visual standpoint, does it, does it work as the, as the crop is, is growing or is it the, on the exit when, when it's curing? And is it sort of like a fan that pulls in uh, oxygen air and then converts that to ozone in the back end. I'm just trying to get a visual picture so everybody can see how kind of how it works. 
Of course, you're so close. So what actually happens is we take fully dried cured trim cannabis. So the stuff that you'd see on the dispensary shelf, the flower that you see that way. So it goes into a drum in our willow pure system. And then once it's in that drum, we infuse ozone gas into the drum. And so the ozone actually breaks down and lyses the cell wall of pathogens on the flower. So if there's mold or yeast on the flower, it's going to break down and lyse that cell wall. So there's no remaining pathogen there. So once the treatment's done, we remove all of the ozone, we convert that back to oxygen. And then to your point though, we actually pull oxygen in and convert that to ozone to actually produce that. So, you know, it just pulls an ambient oxygen, uses that, and then converts it right back to oxygen. Um, But once the treatment's done, the flower comes out, it is ready to be tested for compliance testing and then sold to the consumer. So do they does a cultivator need to then test the cannabis first and see that they have, you know, levels of contaminants, uh, uh, mold and other uh, types of contaminants like heavy metals, et cetera. And then once they realize they do, you're sort of the remediation uh, part. Uh, is, that, is that how it works? Or Well, so it works in that case in some instances. What we really champion is this as a kill step. So all food products, consumer goods go through a process to ensure that you, the consumer, are safe. So your milk, your juice, you know, all the, the food you eat is goes through a process to ensure that there is no contamination. And so it's called a kill step. And we've really tried to champion that type of type of um, method for cannabis. But we still have cultivators that if they fail a test, they will use it, our system, as remediation. But the goal is to treat everything and just ensure like you never fail a test. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Why why wouldn't this be part of the SOP anyway for everybody? You cure, you you trim, you go through, uh, you know, the kill step with Willow. And now everybody has clean, you know, guaranteed clean cannabis. Why, why doesn't everybody do that? I mean, that is, that's a great question. You know, this industry, you yeah. know how it, how it operates. Listen, it's been interesting to see how the industry has evolved over time. So we are moving, most of our cultivators are moving towards using it as that exact way, as that kill step. Um, but it's taken a while. It's taken a while to convince cultivators that this is really important and this is something that needs to be in your SOPs. Do you see greater adoption in like Canada since it's a federal uh, country and they're supposed to follow certain guidelines for safety on a federal level or no? Canada actually requires a kill step. So they require all, all, all cannabis has to be um, irradiated. Now in the States, you, you don't have that requirement, but the requirement is testing. Canada still has to test. So here in the States, I mean, it's interesting to see like who's using what and what types of processes are being used. But I think what we'll start to see is this adoption of like, I want to move towards GMP. I want to move towards HACCP and clean cannabis and compliant cannabis. And so implementing a kill step is really that next step. Are are there different types of kill steps uh, that are, you know, that people use besides uh, Ozone and and is there a standard that Canada suggests, or is that something you can talk to, you know, the government there, Health Canada, and say, hey, maybe this is something that should be standardized in the whole country? Well, Canada requires irradiation, so using gamma radiation. Um, here in the states, uh, if they're not using ozone and using willow, we see irradiation being used as well. But okay. here they're using X-ray irradiation. Uh, are there any, it makes me nervous, uh, you know, x-rays in general and radiation just makes me nervous uh, about that. Has anybody looked at studies on, uh, is, could it be, you know, some adverse impact of using radiation on your, uh, on your crop that you're putting in your body? I think we don't know, right? I mean, we don't, there aren't studies that have been done. There are some that were done years and years ago, but I think it's still up for debate as to, you know, is there an adverse effect? I, I, you know, I don't know. We don't actually have the answer to that. And there aren't studies out there. 
Yeah, I mean, it sounds like you have a, a, a safe alternative to that. So why not, uh, you know, why not use this as a standard? Let's, let's see if we can uh, talk to some people. Yeah, I mean, and, and ozone is organic. It's considered organic by the USDA, the FDA. Um, it's grass certified. And I think that really coincides with this type of a plant. I, I agree. Um, what What are your thoughts? I'm asking you because you sort of straddle both sides of uh, of this. What are your thoughts on cannabis beverages? I like them. So I recently tried can. Um, when I was in LA last week and cause they're not in Colorado. Um, I really liked it. I think it's a, it's a cool way to consume cannabis. Um, I think you also get, <laughs> I think it can be like a quick high as well. Um, but I, I also think it can help modulate the amount of THC that you're ingesting, you know, outside of like an edible that you're unsure of how much to eat. Um, you know, you can kind of go slow with a beverage. What do you think yeah, about I, cannabis beverages? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not really. I'm not really feeling them yet. Oh and I'll no! I'll tell you why. Why? <clears throat> I'll tell you why. Because the whole thing of consuming something that goes to your first pass is a really, really complex experience. When you consume cannabis through your first pass, which actually goes through your digestive system into your liver, your liver converts uh, THC to 11 oxyhydroxide. So, depending on what type of metabolizer you are. It, it really differs in the experience. You and I, you can be an ultra-rapid metabolizer. I can be a poor metabolizer. We can both consume exactly the same amount, but have a completely different experience. And if that's the case, uh, you know, the, the, the whole thing of dosing, it's very, very difficult with beverages or, or edibles. And the other thing is you're, you're sort of missing. I, I have no problem with, uh, you know, the word um, recreational, really, but I don't see cannabis as a recreational. I see it as therapeutic. So maybe that's that my mindset is there. And if uh, if you're consuming it for therapeutic purposes, uh, you know the, the dosing is really really difficult, and you're also missing the other constituents of the plant. So you're isolating a molecule or maybe two molecules, and you have a distillate and you have an isolate, and you put that in there. And how much is really going in? What's being absorbed? And then, then if you're prone to adverse effects with THC and you're a poor metabolizer, well, guess what? You're in for uh, an interesting experience. It can be a much longer experience and can be a much more intense experience. So I, I'm personally still skeptical on these types of things. I think that we should experiment with all kinds of things and study it, but you need to know your own metabolic function before you start consuming things through, through your first pass. That, that's my opinion. Well said. You brought that science, man. <laughs> I just brought my feeling. <laughs> yeah. I, well, the, the feelings look good. I try can. I like I like the taste of it. It's pretty good. Uh, you know, that, that's the other thing. Taste. When, when you start removing terpenes, you don't have to worry about taste that much, especially if you're using, you know, these uh, these soluble uh, isolated molecules. But when you're introducing the, the essential oils, which I think are extremely therapeutic and work yeah. in concert with the cannabinoids. Now you're bringing in taste and people, some of them earthy, some of them taste like lavender, some of them are intense. And, and then now you have to, you have taste scientists and th there are beverages. And I've sampled uh, things that have been, uh, that have been created by scientists in a, in a lab that they, they modulate the actual taste of it. So it actually tastes pretty good and, and uh, they have bitter blockers, et cetera. I don't know if they're natural or not, so I'm always wow. concerned about that. But we're getting there. I think it's it's very good to have options for people. I just think that it's very, very important for people to understand what that option means and understand what's right for them so they can have a more personalized experience. I'll tell you a quick story. My, uh, <clears throat> my business partner and one of our neuroscientists went to a conference. Uh, I, I was traveling somewhere on psychedelics. And afterwards... I think, if I'm not mistaken, I think that there was, uh, they shared a 100 milligram beverage, a THC beverage. And uh, my business partner had- 100 milligrams? Damn. He had two sips, he said, or like a sip and a half. And my other person had, you know, a, a dose, whatever that is. And I get a text from, uh, my business partner's name is Eric. Uh, I get a text from uh, our neuroscientist 
And he's like, I think I just killed Eric. <laughs> like, <laughs> and I told this story before. I'm like, oh, well, so part of me was like, it'll be the first person that ever died from cannabis. So let's kind of do this experiment because nobody's <laughs> ever died before. But the others, uh, I felt bad. I'm like, hey, let's let's see what happened. And, and he's he's a poor metabolizer. And for him to take the same amount, which maybe was 25 milligrams, whatever that is, it really, like he actually spent another day in his hotel room trying to recover from that. Wow, people, really? Yeah, and people need to know that. Yeah, I, I, I never had that experience, but I'm empathetic to people that have. And if yeah. you're, and if your grandma Mary, who's you know, got diagnosed with some sort of disease, and some, and her doctor said, let's take cannabis, and she has that experience. Well, I don't know if she's ever going to consume that again. But worse than that, she's going to go around and tell other people, hey, you know, maybe you should stay away from this. You can have this and that. So, uh, I'd like to mitigate the possibility of a, of an adverse event as much as possible. So that's, that's right. I mean, I think it's, it's important that you brought that up. It's also then goes to detox pathways, detox pathways and methyl donors and whether or not, you know, you, you really understand that about your body. And most people don't. Yeah, no, it's definitely a good point. Um, so from a family standpoint, you're in the cannabis uh, business now, give or take, you're not, you're not, you know, selling uh, cannabis, but you're in the cannabis Very business. Answer, yes. uh, from your 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 family and your and your parents, how, how did you break that to them? How did you come out of the closet, the cannabis closet? And what are their thoughts on that? I'm just curious. They have always been supportive of my entrepreneurial endeavors. So when I told them I was going into cannabis, I mean, I think they were just like, well, here's Jill starting another business. Um, but I also think they've known for a long time that I've been a cannabis user. Um, so I don't think this was surprising or shocking. So they don't, it, they don't have a stigma against no, it? Anymore? No, no, no. They, they definitely are very open-minded. Um, I'm sure smoked cannabis in their days, uh, but they're... But, basically they just hundred percent support me. So they're like, great, you're going into cannabis. That sounds kind of crazy and wild. Good luck. <laughs> so I have some, uh, I guess because I, I'm, I'm divorced and uh, not that I didn't have a successful marriage. I was with my ex for 18 years. So I think Oh wow! Uh, I, yeah. did, I did, I did okay. But as an entrepreneur, because, you know, being an entrepreneur and, 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 and having a partner, like how do you manage the, you know, your, your whole uh, work and life and being together and entrepreneurship, because my business, especially you're growing this, this baby, right? This business is, is another baby. Like, how do you, what do you do to balance that? And isn't your, your husband involved in the business or how does the work life uh, balance happen in your house? My husband is our COO. So we are, you know, we work together every single day um, and then we go home and hang out at home with our daughter. I, in the beginning, it was very hard. Oh my gosh, it was so challenging, but we quickly found that we needed help. And so we got a coach and we worked through a lot of these interpersonal issues that we had in our marriage that were then transcending over into our work life. And now we are a really great team here at Willow. Um, we definitely separate. We do a very good job of separating and compartmentalizing work and home and our marriage and our business relationship. Um, I mean, you wouldn't know that we're married at work, uh, except we have the same last name, but at home, we don't talk about work anymore. It's it's too intense. It's too complicated. There's so much going on. It's not worth it um, to then get into the weeds of talking about this stuff. So we we definitely focus on our kid and our marriage at home. And then when we come back to the office, we dig in again. Um, I think we found a good good path and we're in a good jive, um, but there's always challenges. It's hard. I mean, we're constantly under insane pressure. I mean, hence the fact that I got shingles. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I mean, first of all, the cannabis industry itself is extremely difficult. Like everybody was like, "Oh, it's the green rush. We're gonna make all this money." I'm like, man, I've I've been in this for 26 years, and and there are some people, you know, there are, there are successful people. You can be successful if you're passionate about it, but it's not easy. It's a very, very, very complicated business with you know regulations and taxes and all kinds of different things, and it's, and it's a plant. 
You know, like people are, oh, well, I'm going to invest in this cultivation facility and I'm going to get three pounds per light and I'm going to do all my calculations. <laughs> and I, I've, I've seen so many business plans and we're going to do this, this many pounds and I'm going to suffer this much. Uh, what happened? When we get one pound per light, it's a, it's a plant. It's a plan, and that's what people uh, don't don't really understand. So there's a lot of complexity to that. You said coach, so I find it really uh, interesting that you said that. Are you uh, so you're open to coaching in general? Is I absolutely. I have an executive coach now. So does Jason. I mean, we had a shared one for a while, um, but we both have our own, and I think it's incredibly effective and helpful to, you know, work through some of these bigger, even macro micro issues that you're faced on a daily basis running a company. So is having a coach helpful with, with marriage instead of like a marriage counselor or is that, or is a business coach because you're working together, an executive coach, is that also you're able to take some of those things and bring it into your, your everyday life and utilize some of those practices too? Yeah, exactly. So the coaches is more focused on career business, um, less about relationship and marriage. Although, you know, of course things come up, things come up within the business that then trigger something within the marriage. And so working through that, through that and being really pragmatic about it, uh, has been helpful for us maintaining, you know, sanity <laughs> and happiness. Well, yeah, I was going to say that's that's important. Happiness, you know, happiness is not a sustainable state all the time. You want to be yeah. more happy than, than not. But I think I think having that communication, especially because you're working together too, having that open lines of communication and I think alignment of values and also understanding what the mission is and how we're going to it's it's been it's been really difficult for me um I guess maybe I'm sharing Everything is personal. Right? It's, it's been difficult to, from, from a relationship standpoint, because I think unless you're really entrepreneur minded, I don't think people understand what it takes to be like to run a company no, and to be right. an executive in a company. And it, it's it's encompassing and all the time, always. And, and when you're not working, you're sort of thinking about it. Yes, you have escapes and all that stuff. But yeah, it's it's very it's been very challenging. So I, I, I definitely commend you for having an executive coaching that that definitely helps. It really helps. But to your point, you're exactly right. It is so challenging to run a business and to be an entrepreneur and to to have employees and to be part of a startup. Um, I you know I was talking to someone the other day and I was like, I wonder if we like how it would work if he never came into the business and was seeing me run this insanity from afar doing something else, I, I find it that it would have been probably really hard for us to make it work. But because he's ingrained and and part of the values and the mission of this company that like we're in it together. Yeah. Like, you know. Yeah, now you're in it together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think you have no choice. You're in all the way. Yeah. And, and, plus, and plus, you know, I had a mentor a while ago who said, you know, we raised... A, I think a series A round or, or some for a business. And it's like, yeah, you know, it's great. We've, we've done something complicated. He goes, yeah, no, that's your job. I'm like, what do you mean? Well, he said the number one job of a CEO is always to be raising money. I'm like, no, I'm running the company. He goes, no, you have people that will run day to day. Your job is to make sure that you're always, always raising money. And I, and I kind of pushed it aside. I'm like, no, but it, kind of seems that way. And nowadays, it's one of the most difficult things to do to raise uh, money in, in in the cannabis space. When it wasn't, not, not that it wasn't difficult, but it was just like, yes, cannabis, I want to be in. But I think it's the whole, you know, PTSD from the public markets in Canada and everything else and, and probably what's going on in the world now. Uh, so uh, do you find that a, a challenge as well and, and a, a well, stressor? Yeah. I mean, we actually just closed our Series A in February. Um, which is amazing. Thank you. Um, but I raised money all last year. I mean, I spent all of last year while I was sick, by the way, uh, raising money and, um, you know, it's a hell of an uphill battle. And for us too, I mean, we're a technology that a lot of people don't understand. People don't understand that weed has mold on it. And that's just 
what it is. This plant is what it is. And so it's really hard to understand that technology to investors that don't understand the side of the industry. So it was an uphill battle. We did it. I'm so proud. Um, but you're right. Like I, I'm constantly like, okay, well, what's our burn? What's our runway? Like, when will I need to go out there again? I need to give myself a year to do that. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It's the same. It's the same mindset, and 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 we're sort of similar because we're a health technology company. So it's like, okay, what's your multiplier of? I'm like, no, 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 no you don't understand. <laughs> yeah. What do you talk? We have IP. We have technology that's a personalization, and it's very difficult for people to understand, especially the cannabis investors, because they're so used to, I'm going to invest in this big cultivation facility, or I'm going to invest in, you know, a retail uh, facilities or, or something of that nature. But, you know, maybe maybe going outside of uh, that world and going into like biotech investing and uh, the, more of the Silicon Valley kind of Maybe the, there's more opportunity there, but it's, it's just been difficult as well. But uh, congratulations on that. It's, it's, a, it's a huge deal, especially in this market to raise any money. So it's yes, course. I was I was proud. We worked hard for it. So thank um, you. I'm sure. Um, so we talk cannabis. I'm, I'm assuming that includes hemp as well. Like uh, you, you do this for uh, for hemp uh, also. Hemp is not a big part of um, our revenue simply because the testing requirements around hemp are essentially non-existent. And I'm sure you've dug into CBD and CBD uh, ingredients and, you know, what actually that product entails. But the hemp industry is is very different from marijuana and cannabis. And so um, we don't really play in that right now um, because they don't need to test. So they're not held to the standards that you know, you'll see marijuana. I, I'm, I'm glad you, you said that because just, just for the people to think about CBD is everywhere, yeah. everywhere. I yeah. mean, you name it, every single product I've seen CBD underwear. And I was just like, <laughs> I don't understand. I don't understand what that's going to do. CBD pillows. I, I don't get it. Okay, fine. It's a, it's the thing that's in, but it's in everything. And, and you have people everywhere like my parents' age are taking CB, but there's no testing standards for that. So you really don't know. You're complaining about, you know, cannabis and, oh, my God, and my, the kids are going to get into the edibles and the safety. But you have a product that's like probably sold at least 20 times more than, than cannabis. I, I don't know, maybe 100 times more, but there's no testing standards. And this is a very similar crop to cannabis. And it probably has the same um, uh, the same type of adulteration to it as well, uh, you know, mold and all those other things. But there is no testing standard requirement for that. And who remediates that? And also, you may not be using. You're using probably the entire plant and using the trim and using. I I, I went to a, a farm in Kentucky of a company that actually is no longer in business right now, but they were a huge, huge company in Kentucky that were uh, that were doing all this stuff. And the way I, I the way that it worked is that a combine that would just go through, take down the entire plant as a combine, get all the mass, the biomass, all of it together. Throw it into industrial dryers and dry it, and that's it. And then it goes into extraction. There is no other process. And this this uh, extracted material was used in. I don't want to give the exact percentage, but I would say a huge amount of products that we actually were getting in the market back then had their source material in it. So is no that why they're not in product. business? Why aren't they in business? <laughs> uh, they're they're not in business uh, through several reasons. Uh, that and uh, there was financial uh, uh, challenges, and and I think there was uh, some some uh, convertible uh, instruments that were due, and uh, you know they couldn't they couldn't pay, so there was a lot of debt and stuff. But yeah, that, one of the reasons was SOP. So I always find it fascinating that cannabis is oh we got to make sure we're testing and we know what to put on, but CBD hey. I'll take it all, all day long. It doesn't get me high, but I don't know what I'm putting in my body, but I'll take it. It says CBD on it. Yeah, I, will, I do not buy CBD products. <laughs> well, you, you can buy it through uh, through 
us through okay. our marketplace because okay. everything everything that everything that's suggested by our platform must have a C of A. Oh, it does. If okay. if it doesn't have a C of A, we the system doesn't work because one of the ways one of the ways that our our product suggestion engine works is it takes your genetic pre, uh, genetic uh, profile all your genotyping suggests the ratio of cannabis and terpenes are more aligned with you. And then we use C of A's to guide you through products, what the percentage matches, and then we can geofence that to specific products. So if it's a hemp derived product and it doesn't have a C of A, we can't use our algorithm. It must have a C of A. Good for you. That's smart. That's uh, that's the future. So um, what are some of your personal goals that you, that you want to achieve? Personal? Yeah. Well, not professional. Um, <laughs> we, we already know professional. You, we already know. You you need to raise your money. You need to have a profitable business. You need to have a successful exit. You know what? And Good have point. peace of mind. You boil it down into the, and, and actually, and have happy employees. That's important to me. Um, it's have well, a happy, and like have a team that fe- they feel valued. They understand the mission and um, they're taken care of. Well, let's talk and let's 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 sort of uh, put a pin and bookmark that question that I asked because I read a lot and the reason why I didn't ask you, you this question because a lot of other people were asking you the same question about your employee strategy and how you sort of shifted your focus and I used to be a coach in one of my careers uh, that that companies would hire for uh, sales and all this other stuff one of the first thing that I would come in and I interview the employees and I would say, man, this person is brilliant, but they're in the wrong job. They're in the wrong position in uh, that it doesn't align with what they're passionate about doing. So, you know, employees, absolutely, it's all about the employees, right? It's feeling valued, having them participate in their feeling that they're making a contribution to the greater cause. So, uh, yeah, if you can elaborate uh, a little bit on that, I think it's it's a great strategy. Well, I mean, just like you said, they feel valued. I mean, that's something that we really prioritize here, that they are heard, that they understand that like they can come to us and they can talk to us about what they, what they need to be heard on, um, that they are part of this mission. And Every employee here is feels very passionate about what we're doing, that we're making the industry more legitimate, safer, cleaner, um, that, you know, we're focused on consumer safety, which like that will never go out of style, right? Consumer safety is the most important, um, especially as we as an industry grow up and become more legitimate. Um, you know, we, we really focus on, on their growth and what can we do to support that? So we provide, you know, opportunities for continued learning. We pay for that. Um, you know, how can we continue to support you? And so, I mean, I think all of these things uh, go into a happy, healthy work environment. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. W- one of the things that, you know, we, we like to, we have a, like an employee stock option. Oh yeah, we do. That, okay. Yeah, yeah, like an ESOP, because uh, they feel they have skin in the game. And if yeah. they're contributing to the company and there is some sort of whatever that exit is, and the exit doesn't have to be an exit. It can be next round or or a growth of some sort, but they participate in that in that growth. But one of the things I remember, like Gary Vaynerchuk, Gary V was talking about years ago, uh, he was saying that he wants to encourage employees to do whatever they want to do and to use whatever his company is, as a platform. So if you want to be a business owner, I encourage you to come into my company. I'm going to give you the tools that you need to be successful. Not here. It can be somewhere else. So I I've, I, I started employing that strategy. I like that. And, and some people left and started their own. Th- great. And I encourage that because if their mind is, I want to be elsewhere, they're not going to be able to perform at 100%. But if you encourage them to say, if if your goal, like I had an employee that was, uh, they wanted to be in music, want to be, and they, they were, they were dabbling in it. And I was like, I will do anything that we can to support your career. And this person has a career now. They left, uh, and not a competitive career, but still, that's what they're passionate about. So they know that this is, this is a, a stop. In, in their in their journey, 
but let's make this a stop where they can get as much as they can and, and give as much as they can so we can promote and help them on their next journey. And that's been something I learned over the years as well. I really love that. I might might take that. Hey, it's, it's not mine. It's Gary's. <laughs> so take it. Um, so please describe your first experience with cannabis. I was in high school and I... <laughs> I smoked cannabis with some friends, I don't know, during like lunch period and just remember laughing and being really happy. It was very joyful. Great. So, <laughs> so it was a good experience. It was a great um, experience. Great. So um, I'm a big music guy. I mean, you probably can tell uh, behind me. Well, uh, do you remember what the first concert you ever attended was? Oh, my God. It's so funny. I ask this question to everybody that interviews with us. I ask this question to everybody. First concert, best concert. That's what I ask. <laughs> yeah, well, let's let's do it. First concert, first, best concert. So first concert would be Michael Jackson. I was eight, I think, when I went to go see him. Um, and then best concert, I mean, of course, this is- Did, like, you, did you wear the outfit? Did you wear the glove? And the, I uh, definitely cat. dressed up in whatever <laughs> 80s garb I had. I was very excited. Um, and then best concert, I mean, such a hard question, but I would say- what comes to mind first is Pearl Jam, early 2000s. Yeah, I remember What about you? Pearl, uh, my, the first album I ever bought, ever, uh, myself, was Led Zeppelin Four. I actually have it somewhere here in back of me. Yeah, it's, it's actually this specific album. This one is oh, the wow. first album I, I ever bought. Uh, so with, with my own money. So it was Led Zeppelin Four album. And then... Uh, uh, the first concert I ever went to was Pink Floyd. I actually wore a shirt. It's wow. pretty weird today. Uh, yeah, it was back in, uh, I'm from Philly, originally. So the back when they first got together with Al Roger Waters, the very first uh, tour at JFK Stadium, it was 120,000 people. I went with my dad and his brother. It's the only concert my dad ever went because he likes uh, Pink Floyd too. And the only concert he ever took me and my friends. And he said, never again will he go to a concert because like somebody, <laughs> somebody puked in back of him and, and uh, they were passing you know, weed around and all that stuff. So uh, he, and he never, we never went to a concert again, uh, but the best, man, I, I go to shows like once a week. So oh, it's very, do? very difficult uh, to, to gauge what was uh, uh, the best, but I would say like uh, having huge stars in a very small venue is always fairly memorable in LA. We have this uh, we have this band. It was called Camp Freddy. Now they call themselves Royal Machines, and uh, it's basically like Dave Navarro from Jane's Addiction, oh, wow. Matt Sorum from Guns N' Roses, a bunch of different players who play, and then whoever's in town or whoever they're friends with comes in and performs and covers. So you have you have like Ozzy Osbourne that comes in and he'll he'll play with the band and it's in a small venue called the Roxy. It's only you know a few hundred people and you have like Steven Tyler to come in and play drums uh, from so That's those awesome. kind of concerts. And there was one that I mentioned before. I went to see Billy Idol at a, at the Viper Room and he came out and they were start, starting to play Eyes Without a Face and he's like, "Does anybody remember how the song goes?" And I see I have him singing it off somebody's phone. So those kind of concerts are, are pretty memorable. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, so uh, what has cannabis meant in your life? I mean, it's given me an opportunity to build an amazing career. I got to invent, I got to invent a technology for a, a burning industry and, and become successful doing this. I mean, I attribute, you know, this amazing career that I have and getting to talk to people like you about this because of the opportunity of cannabis. Very cool. All right. Final question. Okay. Bonus question. Please describe what your room looked like growing up. It was, I had bright yellow walls and a very floral bedspread and lots of inspirational quotes. And I am a like crazy clean person. And so I would always, every weekend I would spend, you know, half a day cleaning my room, which didn't need it, but you know, I was, I was all about that. <laughs> Inspirational quotes instead of like uh, music posters. No Pearl Jam posters in the wall. Okay, I don't know. I have any? Maybe I did. I, I, you know, I think like when I was younger. But I was a singer when I, um, I grew. I was growing up. I went to college on a voice scholarship, 
oh man, I wish we would have talked more about that. I am, a, you know, music has been my thing. I used to be a music buyer for Tower Records and music has been my thing. Oh, for, that's for so cool. Years. So yeah, we'll, we'll definitely have to pick yeah. this up again and, and talk. And about you're in it. LA, right? Yeah. I'm in oh, LA. Okay, good. Well, when I, I was actually there last week to speak at a conference, but next time I'm there, I will, let's definitely grab a coffee or something. Yeah, for sure. Let me know. So, Joe, where can people find out more about Willow, about you? Where can they contact you? Social, website, whatever. Just Willow you know. is on all social platforms. Uh, Willowindustries.com is our website. And certainly anyone can reach out to me on LinkedIn. I am active and a willing participant in that world. Great. Yeah. I want to thank you so much for doing this. Uh, I really appreciate it. And we'll have to pick this up again and, uh, and just have a whole music conversation. I would love to. It's been so great. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Infused, a cannabis talk show, is a -a one-of-a-kind look inside the cannabis industry. Meet the amazing people who make cannabis businesses bloom as they join host Nick with Francesca and Mike for creative cannabis conversations. Get an honest look at the business of cannabis, including trends, best and worst practices, products, education, and advocacy. Whether you're kind of curious or running a cannabis, Infused has kind of conversations that count. Infused is available on YouTube and is now streaming as part of the PodConnects Network.